Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. This episode, we examine the 2010 remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street was released in 1984, I was a teenager, and though I did not see it in the theater, some of my horror-obsessed friends did, and their reaction to it was nothing short of ecstatic. I caught up on video and saw the next two sequels in the theater, and though Michael Myers was more my slasher, soon I was a Freddy Krueger convert. I lost track of the dream demon over my 20s, but enjoyed the monster mashup between him and Jason Voorhees in 2003's Freddy vs. Jason. By the time a remake was announced in the late aughts, I was back into horror in a big way and was ready for more Freddy. And when Jackie Earl Haley, an actor I loved, was revealed to be taking over for the iconic Robert Englund, and that the film was getting a decent budget to realize its fantastical dream sequences, I was hyped. Some months before the release, a friend of mine scored tickets to a preview screening of the movie, which I was only too happy to accept. There had been rumors of a troubled production as video director Samuel Bayer had never done a feature, but I was still hopeful it would be good. But the film we saw that night was a mess. It's hard for me to remember now, ten years later, what was different in the preview as compared to the official release, but I do remember the original opening scene took place at a high school party, and that the climax featured out-of-place religious imagery, and that at one point Freddy showed up in monk's robes. It was weird to say the least. When the film was released to the public, I saw it again out of curiosity and thought that improvements had been made, and that the movie had some redeeming qualities overall, but that ultimately it felt inconsequential, and that Jackie Earl Haley fell far short of the great Robert Englund. Critics and fans were far less kind to it than I was, and though the film made a profit, it pretty much shut down the Platinum Dunes remake machine for good. No sequel was ever announced, and Freddy's been absent from our dreams and from movie screens ever since. So what went wrong? That's what we're here to discuss on this episode of Tentpole Trauma, the 2010 remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street. All right, I'm Sebastian, and I'm here with Jennifer. Hello. And Rodney 
from the Pod Forsaken podcast. Hey, everyone. Hello. Rodney, why haven't you called? Have you ever thought of rebranding the podcast to Rod Forsaken? You know, I, I bring that up to my co-hosts every episode before we record. And because there's two of them, they always outvote me. But wow. I, I'm with you. Maybe you want to have a word with them. This is why you kill your other hosts. <laughs> oh, is is that why there were seven hosts here at Tentpole? There used to be more hosts for Tentpole Trauma, but they are gone now. They died in their dreams. Uh, tell us a little bit about your podcast. Pod Forsaken Horror Podcast is um, a horror podcast where we kind of do the opposite, I think, of what you guys do. We specifically pick horror movies that most people have never seen or maybe never even heard of. Uh, and then we watch them and we tell you about them. We usually do a format where first at the beginning of the episode, we watch the trailer for the movie we're going to do next week so that you can, you know, you can watch the trailer and decide if this movie is for you. And then, you know, we talk about the movie with no spoilers, give you kind of a review, and then we dive in and just spoil the shit out of it. But the whole point is that, like, as I mean, we're all horror fans, obviously. And after a certain point, you have to start digging deep to find good stuff, right? Like theatrical Hollywood movies kind of start leaving a bad taste in your mouth. And so we started the podcast to help horror fans find the really good shit that's either foreign or like independently made that you might not know about. And it's just a passion project that I do with some friends. And we've had a very good response so far. Although no one's probably going to look me in the eyes and say, I hate your fucking podcast, but <laughs> you're welcome to. Well, I've been meaning to tell you. <laughs> Now's your moment. No, no, no. I, I love your podcast. Awesome. Well, that's great. We're talking about the 2010 Nightmare on Elm Street remake directed by Samuel Bear. And the reason why I chose it is not because it was a huge financial disaster, because it actually wasn't. It actually cost about $46 million or something and made three times that worldwide. So it's not a financial disaster, but I do believe that it effectively, the, the, the fan and critical response uh, for it was pretty much toxic. And it pretty much stopped the whole Platinum Dunes remake trend dead in its tracks. And there hasn't been any more. They didn't do any more Friday the 13th. They didn't do another Texas Chainsaw. It all, they shut down Platinum Dunes, Michael Bay's production horror remake company. So I consider it a, you know, tentpole trauma because it wrecked the party, so to speak. Let's talk a little bit about your own personal history with the franchise. Jennifer, what, what is your history with the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise? Well, um, I saw the first Nightmare on Elm Street um, pretty young. I saw a lot of horror probably way younger than I should have as a pattern um, but I was just really into it and I most likely saw it on I, I know well, there's no way I didn't but didn't have a uh, cool enough parents to take me to the theater to see it but I, I did probably catch it either on VHS or on um, you know HBO or something like that um, not you know whenever it became available but I had first you know heard about it through friends who had seen it older friends you know so i already had an idea of who freddie was and 
you know, like how kids do, you know, you're talking it up and then this happens and he's got knives for fingers and then he says this. And so, you know, that was all amped up and, and then I saw it and, and I liked it and I thought it was scary. And um, did you see the first film first? Yes. The original Nightmare on Elm Street. You saw that first? Yes. Okay. I have the, the films of the franchise that I've seen the most are um, the first and the third. I've seen the, the, the Dream Warriors. That was on TV a lot. And I really... I appreciate the first one. I love the first one, but I, I probably like, especially when I was younger, was more into three. Right. But yeah, that was that was my you know an, an initial history with the franchise. I it's not my favorite of the horror franchise. I mean, I, I do like Freddy, but it's not my go-to. You know, there's it's for me, it's not as consistent as some other franchises are, as as far as like having a a, a number of films that I like to go back to and, and enjoy. There's some that are kind of tough to get through in this one, in my opinion. Rodney, how about you? How What's your history with the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise? Never seen any of them. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> was I supposed to watch that? <laughs> um, actually, I wanted to say, first of all, thank you guys for having me on. I didn't say that. And I think your show is really great. And uh, it's like, I'm really pumped to be here in jazz to talk about this. Um, We're pumped to have you, Rodney. Yes, I don't know are. if you can tell from my voice. <laughs> this is my pumped voice. I can tell that you are really jazzed. I'm sort of like where Jen is. I I don't remember what my first one was. I feel like at a sleepover, someone showed me part three. I, I, I had parents who were very lenient. I, I remember seeing part four by myself in a theater. I think my dad would like take me to the theater. He'd buy me the ticket. And then like once I went in, he'd like, go to a bar and have a drink and be like, I'll see you when it's over. Right. I've never like, I like them, but Jen's right. These movies are so all over the map. There are really great ones. And there are ones that are so low that like, I, they're barely movies to me, but in general, they have really creative kills. And Freddy Krueger is like one of the most iconic villains of all time. It's just that there's no consistency between the movies. That's my biggest problem. Right? Like, I was showing my wife them, and we just skipped over part two. I was like, you don't need part two. It's not canon. What? Let's just do- part two is amazing. No, part two is- You you're, can't you're one skip of those over people. it. No, part two- I did. Part I, two is amazing, Rodney. I'm sorry. I, I've got to- I, I can't let you think that I don't enjoy part two. Okay, well, let's not go down the <laughs> rabbit hole here. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but look, I, I enjoy all of the Friday the 13th movies. I've seen them all now multiple times. So- uh, I, you know, I, I, I've always been a Jason guy. I hope that's not a problem, but no, uh, nope. Freddie's probably my number two. No, that's not true. He's my number three. Chucky would be number two. I'm a Michael Myers guy myself, and he has some of the worst movies. So it's not really about who's got the best movie. It's just who's your guy. You know, I will say about the Nightmare series, what I do appreciate about it is generally speaking, even the terrible ones have a certain amount of imagination. Just the premise in itself is inherently imaginative, and I kind of have to give it to Freddy for that. It's, there's always something, even in the most terrible of them, there's always some crazy, interesting nightmare scenario that makes either makes me laugh or I really enjoy. But let's move on to the subject of remakes in general, because this movie was sort of the 
final nail in the coffin in some ways of the whole remake trend of the 20 aughts, the early aughts. So Jen, what is your feeling on remakes in general? Like I know you're a big Texas Chainsaw fan and you're not a fan of the Platinum Dunes uh, Texas Chainsaw remake, which sort of kicked off this trend. What is your general feeling on remakes? Well, with remakes, I I kind of feel like, you know, I love horror, so I'm always going to give it a shot. And my expectations are pretty low when I'm when I'm watching these. Like I, I have nowhere to go but up. Texas Chainsaw, I'm just so like protective of because it's just there's nothing like the first Texas Chainsaw. Well, you don't really like the franchise. You just like the first movie and the second one too. I I mean I pretty much do. Yeah, that that's that's a fact. I mean I I appreciate. Uh, I mean three is okay, and I appreciate four for being you know the the weird version that it is. Um, but yeah, th- that that's not one of my favorite remakes. I I did like the Friday the Thirteenth remake. I've seen I've saw that in the theater, and I've seen that several times since. There's yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, there's there's none that are really standing out that I'm like, oh, this is, you know, I've never once been like this was better than the first one. Look, there are remakes that I think are really good. I'll point to The Ring. I think The Ring is an excellent remake. Agreed. Yeah. I actually I think it comes down to how much do you care about the original film and if you saw it. For example, I and I know this might get get me kicked off, but I've never <laughs> been a big Texas Chainsaw Massacre fan. Like I just never like I saw it growing up and it never it never impacted me the way that it impacts a lot of people. So when I saw the Platinum Dunes remake, I was like, hey, this is pretty good. Right. Because I have no emotional attachment to it. Yeah. But when I saw the Friday the 13th one or like the recent Child's Play remake, the Friday the 13th one is OK. It's, it's got some cool shit. But like in general, remakes just anger me because they're so clearly a cash grab. Right. It's just like, yo, let's just capitalize on this thing for money's sake when the original thing was actually a thing of passion. And every once in a while, the remake is done by someone who is passionate and you end up with something good, but it's rare. I mean, you point to like Ocean's Eleven as another great example. Like that movie is fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. And that's a remake. But in general, if if I see it's a remake, it's probably bad and I don't care. I am sort of weirdly optimistic about these things. I I feel I'm, I'm in a sort of strange position there as a horror fan because I feel most horror fans are not like that. But I get kind of excited with with Texas Chainsaw I was I found I was very skeptical about that one because I feel that the original is such a specific thing that you can't recapture that you can't recapture that in the 2000s you can't recreate the 70s and the grime and just the atmosphere of the time that is so inherent in that film whereas something like Freddy Krueger or Nightmare on Elm Street as much as I love the Wes Craven original, and I love the Wes Craven original, I, I like part two for its craziness. Of course, I love Dream Warriors. I generally think that's probably the most fun of all of them. You know, when when they announced that they were doing the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, remake or reboot or whatever they were pitching it as, I was actually kind of excited at the idea of it because I thought, well, there's an idea that you could do now it would still be just as relevant now. Uh, and with modern special effects, you might be able to really take it somewhere really crazy. So I was game for it. And, you know, I felt that most horror fans were definitely not. 
Yeah, I was I was up for it. I saw it in the theater. Um, it was again though the way that I like I said I I approach uh, remakes in general where I I didn't have the the optimism that you did. Um, I was just kind of like, well, let's you know let's see what they're gonna do with it because I'm just like I said happy to get another horror movie and you know it's I do like Freddy a lot and I want and I do like. Jackie Earl Haley, and let's let's see what's going to happen. So Jackie Earl Haley as Freddy was a draw, was sort of a draw for you. Sort of because because I'm definitely a fan. Like I I, I like him a lot. I mean, there's several of his films, and and he was this is when he was you know starting to make a comeback and and do more stuff. And yeah, I was I was I was game. You know, it's funny. I'm with you, Sebastian, on this one. I was excited. I remember thinking, hey, Platinum Dunes has pretty much delivered above average contents to me so far and it was rated r and hey they got jackie earl haley and he's done some great shit i was jazzed i thought this was going to be a pretty good time you know so yeah I, I i saw that i think opening weekend jackie earl haley was sort of coming off of watchmen at the time playing rorschach which you know has some similarities to freddy krueger so i think people were excited to see him take on the role if they were excited about it uh, they were excited to see him take it on because of Rorschach and because of the other stuff he had done. He had done uh, Little Children yes. or something like that yes. before, which had a s sort of similar uh, type of icky character in it. So it seemed pretty promising. Now, the film is directed by Samuel Bayer. Do you guys know what his claim to fame is? Yes. I do now, but only because I looked it up. Um, he directed the ten, uh, the Smells Like Teen Spirit video from uh, Nirvana, and he also directed the B-Girl video for Blind Melon. So, you know. No rain. He's a guy who look, you know, clearly has some visual talent. The weird thing, and I remember thinking this at the time, is why hasn't he directed any uh, feature film until now? This was his first feature film as a director. You would have thought, Coming out of, you know, the 90s when Fincher and other guys who were video directors were sort of becoming big directors, you would have thought that this guy would have gotten his shot way before 2010 and Nightmare on Elm Street remake, but this was his first movie. I don't think most people knew that of his pedigree going in, so I don't think it really made much of a difference to most people. You know, we get our sort of opening scene you know the movie sort of starts off i think like most horror movies of the era with a kind of creepy credit sequence where we get some flashes of little kids playing hopscotch and stuff and then we get our sort of opening sequence which takes place in the, the diner we have uh the twilight's kellen lutz as this tormented teen and he's sort of uh wandering around in the kitchen looking you know he clearly has gone into sort of a dream sequence and there's like, you know, hog heads and stuff. And um, we sort of get a, a glimpse of Rooney Mara as Nancy. Freddie shows up and he wakes up and uh, Katie Cassidy, who's playing, I believe her name is Chris, but she's clearly modeled after the Tina character in the original. Uh, she was also in the show Arrow. She shows up and... They have this sort of conversation. He's initially just like asking for coffee and no one will serve him. So he's like being ignored and, and you don't know at first that he's dreaming. But then when he goes back into the kitchen and it, it seems like he's in a boiler room. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, all the gross like 
animal heads and stuff not good and then we we see the glove swipe at him and then he then then we see him wake up and his hand is cut and so yeah you know it's 100 percent clear that's what's going on he was dreaming and then he's talking with uh chris and she was also in some other remakes as well she was in uh when a stranger calls and the um i think the black christmas remake too where you see Nancy and she's talking to the the guy from uh, Jennifer's body and there's a, that's yes, going he's on playing Quentin, Quentin. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Galliner, I think his name is. Yeah. And yeah. So then we, we that's all going on. And then Dean has passed out again. And then we, we get the, him with the steak knife and yeah, it's, I, I don't know. I thought like, okay, we're, we're starting off good here. Like this is like, I, I didn't see that coming. Fred shows up and basically makes him stab himself in the neck with a steak knife. Yeah. And I, I thought that was, I thought we were starting off strong. Overall, there's something weird about the scene. The way the movie starts, and maybe it's intentional that like they want you to, they want to throw you off your foot right from the start because you're in a dream. But there's something about that whole opening scene where they just like, they're cramming every character in the movie into this one diner. And... The, the 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 guy who kills himself, Dean, he's doing that thing in horror movies where like he can't just put a sentence together to explain what's going on, right? He's just like <laughs> he's a mess, and he's like, ah, oh, oh man, don't close, don't go to sleep, man, don't you can't sleep. I'm like, explain to her why, and she's like, oh, you're just imagining things, and and like the the hogs' heads boiling in the in the pots and shit. This is going to be a recurring thing I'm going to talk about, which is that. The dream sequences in this movie are so lame and unimaginative. And I will give credit that when he stabs himself in the neck, that was awesome. It yeah. looks really good. Yeah. I also want to point out, uh, did you guys catch that? I don't know if you went back because I went back and watched the trailer. This is clearly not the original opening they shot. Because in the trailer... Not only am I aware of that, but I saw an advanced screening of this movie uh oh shit yes and it had a completely different opening sequence that this whole diner sequence was a reshoot the original scene that i saw um in an advanced screening it took place at a party they were just they were just at a house party that's what you see in the trailer and so this diner scene feels like a reshoot it totally is 100 percent. that explains it yeah. So, and I agree with what you're saying. It it seems like they're like, well, we got to get all the characters set up in the scene. And I think one of the um, drawbacks of this film, in terms of just its narrative, is that it really sort of accelerates everything, so that you can tell they're just like, okay, we got to get the kids set up. You got to know who the kids are, and you know they're all having these dreams, and we got to know about the dreams. And you know, like by the second scene, we're at a funeral, and now Chris is having more. Is having another sort of dream where she sees her little self in front of the in front of the coffin, and for the Fred's glove comes out and slashes her. So you know we're get we're getting thrown right into it, and we're learning about the gang and their dreams, and we're meeting Connie Britton and Clancy Brown as the parents. So yeah, I, I feel like there's definitely a sort of sweatiness to the setup of the film where they're like, okay, we just got to get this thing going. You're like, let's yeah. go, let's go, let's go. This movie has no chill. That's what it comes <laughs> down to. It's constantly, it's constantly trying to insist how cool and scary it is in every moment. Mm -hmm. And yeah. therefore it never has any dread. Again, I, the, you know, the shooting of the diner scene, like I like the lighting of it. Mm -hmm. I thought that was cool. I think it looks good. 
visually it looks good, which I would expect from a music video director. Absolutely. Right. It's got a slickness to it that is sort of in line with the Platinum Dunes remakes in general. But I do think, I think my primary disappointment in a lot of the dream sequences is really that they're just kind of rehashing what happened in the original film. And in some cases, they're doing it way worse. Yeah. <laughs> like the when Fred comes out of the wall, it's really underwhelming because it just looks like this CGI blob peeling off the wall, where in the original, Freddy, um, you'll notice I'm differentiating between Fred and Freddy. <laughs> And that's because uh, Jennifer and I own a Fred Krueger uh, action right. figure. Uh, his name oh. is Fred Krueger. And it's Jackie Earl Haley in his like gardener uniform. So you're the one who bought that. Yes. <laughs> we go to Nancy's house and she's chilling with her iPod. Um, she's doing like creepy drawings because she's a you know disturbed um, artist. And that's when we get Freddie coming through the wall, which looks terrible, I think. It and, looks and, so bad. And, and as I was saying, in the original, the effect is so cheap. It's just some, I don't know, tarp or something covered with paint. And, you know, there's somebody's pushing through the tarp. But it looks so much better than this CGI nonsense, which I'm sure was a lot more expensive. And... Just to put it out there, I'm not the, you know, practical effects are always better guy. I'm just not. I, I like both things. I love a great practical effect and I love a well done CGI effect. So, you know, I'm up for them using state of the art computer uh, imagery to accentuate Freddy and his powers. But this is just terrible. And it really sort of sets a bad taste in your mouth early on. Right. But it's also like in the original, there's like a creepiness, the way it slowly, the wall slowly pushes in. Right. Yeah. In this one, it's literally like a blob that goes, Grah! like as, as though they're trying to make a jump scare out of it. Yeah. And it's the combination of the goofiness of the Grah! mixed with, it's literally like the worst CG I've ever seen. It's terrible. It's like Langoliers level in this one moment. Yeah, it's re it's really bad. Well, I think also it's it's not only is it doesn't look good. It's like it's such a f forgettable moment. Whereas in the original, it's it's a memorable moment. Yeah. Like this is it happens so like you said. It's like rah, it happens so fast that it's like if I would not have made a note of this, I would have forgotten it. Yeah. Like that's that's and and I've seen this movie multiple times by now. Why I don't know, but I I have. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's some. It's it's such a, a blip on the radar. It's like really quick with her. She's like sketching this like Fred blobs out, and then cut to we're at Chris next. We're at Chris like talking about to her mom about the photos. Like why doesn't she remember being in these photos? Because they had photos at the funeral and where are more photos like I don't I, how do I not you know she's she's having the whole issue that she didn't think she met Dean until high school yeah so like how is she in these like kid photos and mom's being super cagey about it yeah so yeah but it's just like that's that's how quickly it happens is this is like blob with Nancy hey Chris Chris has questions yeah it sort of plays into Rodney's this has no this movie has no chill there's so many like very forced and sudden jump scares yeah. you know and like to be like when I was watching it, I genuinely was trying to watch it as though I've never seen a Nightmare on Elm Street film before. I was trying to judge it as though it's just a movie called The Nightmare Killer, right? Mm -hmm. And even under those criteria, 
it's so forced. You know, it's just like there's so many moments of these of just like a sudden cut to Freddy Krueger jumping out of the shadows with the loudest stinger in the world. And then the scene moves on again. I'm I, if I had if I you just let me talk for an hour, I would just talk about how you shouldn't be allowed to make a horror movie unless you love horror movies. And if I'm sure you've done your research, but apparently Michael Bay offered this movie to Samuel Bayer twice and he turned it down twice. Oh. And he basically had to convince him what a financial windfall it would be for him. Right. And I got to tell you, if if you're a director and someone offers you a Sebastian, imagine someone said you can direct the next Freddy Krueger movie. Would you say no? I would pop a million <laughs> boners. That's what I'm saying. This this guy said no thank you twice. So yeah. this guy doesn't deserve to be directing a Freddy Krueger movie. And that's what you end up getting is a movie that comes from someone who doesn't get what makes Freddy Krueger cool and what makes movies scary. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I mostly agree with that, but I do sometimes think we put too much of a premium on filmmakers being fans of things like, oh, if they're not a fan, they shouldn't do it. I don't really care if somebody's a fan of the movie or of the property or not. If they can make a good movie, they can make a good movie. I would be more concerned about the fact that Samuel Bear never made a movie in general. Sure. Let's add that on the pile. Right, like that's, <laughs> I, I, I would be more as from a producing standpoint, that would give me pause more. But one thing I think he did a pretty okay job with is the cast. I think the cast is mostly pretty good. I, I like the cast. I like all of the, the kids. Um, I'm like I said, I, I recognized, you know, a couple from other horror movies, um, and then of course the, like the adults, like they've, they've got some heavy hitters. I mean, Connie Britton's a, a great actor and, and so is Clancy Brown. I mean, those are the, the two most recognizable to me. And of course, Jackie or Haley. I did miss the drunken mom from the original. Nancy's but... drunken mom. Yeah. I know this mom, Connie Britton had it way more together. She was way more on top of things. She should have been into pills or something, you know, they should have had gotten her into oxy just to. <laughs> modernize it yeah missed up missed opportunity i think weirdly rooney mara kind of comes off the worst which is too bad because she's our nancy i feel like the other quote unquote teens do pretty well uh, i like kyle gallner i actually like the actress who plays chris i think she does a pretty good job mm -hmm. But Rooney seems a little lost. She seems like she doesn't know what she's supposed to be doing. You know, her character is kind of supposed to be the dark one, I guess, because she does dark drawings, but she works at the diner and she's kind of got, you know, a little sass to her. So it's kind of hard to get a bead on her. I think, you know, I think she's done some pretty good work over the years, but this, I feel like she seems a little little lost here you know i i see where you're coming from i i quit the whole time i couldn't decide how i felt about rooney mara for me i i think overall she works because like i believe she's in high school like she's got a kind of a young face mm -hmm. and i yeah i i don't really know her as a character but i i get that she's like she's tired and sad and then she draws sad pictures right yeah for me <laughs> the problem for me it, it is chris and it's not because of her performance it's because she looks like she's 45 years old <laughs> And I did not believe for one second she's in high school. Like, literally, when she's, like, talking to her mom, I thought they were, like, friends, like, at uh -huh. Wine Book Club or something. I expected a scene for her to go pick up kids. And 
I couldn't understand why you would cast. Like, she's clearly like 29 to 32 years old when she made this movie. And I was like, why can't they just get actual like 18 year old people to play 18 year old people? Having said that, if you can look past that, yeah, she she's okay. I, I don't think anyone in this movie is doing what I would call a good job, yeah. but everyone's doing a an okay job. If I had to give an acting award out, I'd give it to Quentin. I liked uh-huh. his performance the best. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that's fair, but I also think that when you look back at pretty much any horror franchise cast, there are very few where you say, these are all award-worthy performances. A lot of times the actors acquit themselves well, uh, but it's not like, I felt that these this was all on par. They were all doing what they were asked to do and doing it. Uh, well, but the big question is Jackie Earl Haley. Okay. Oh boy. So we were all pretty excited about Jackie as Freddie or Fred, as it were. Um, I remember seeing, uh, you know, production stills of his makeup and I was like, well, okay. I see what they're doing. They're going for like a legit burn victim look here rather than the stylized <laughs> look of, of, uh, Robert Englund, and let's just get it out of the way. You know, Robert Englund is iconic as Freddy Krueger. There's, you know, there's no way that anybody's ever going to play this character and not be compared unfavorably to uh, to Robert Englund. It's his role. But I appreciated. Well, they're going sort of a different direction here. They're trying to make it look a little more realistic. And you know, I I did like his little tick where he he rubs his knives together i I thought that was a the one kind of cool thing he did but i have to say overall i was kind of let down um one of my big problems is and this is not his fault but he's a short man and you can tell he's a short man in a lot of the scenes you know you're you're like, are we watching Leprechaun? Is he? Are we doing Leprechaun here? <laughs> I mean, you know, he's just not a big guy, and it's kind of hard to make this little dude be super scary. I, I think he has the attitude. He hasn't. I mean, he he. I wouldn't say he has the Freddy attitude, but he has an attitude. He has a very scary voice and a scary presence, but. Overall, I just found his stature and his look to be a little uh, off-putting. I had high hopes um, because I am such a fan. It's just, it's just really, it just doesn't really work for me. Yeah. I, I, it, <laughs> you I don't have know. to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but but I really wanted it to, you know? And it's like, even this time around, I was like, uh, I, I don't know. It's just... And I think it's it's just because Robert England is so iconic. I just that's who Freddie is to me. And I know this is Fred Krueger because that's what we're referring to him is in the remake. And you know, I I appreciate them trying to do something different. And it's not his acting or anything like that. It's just I don't know. It's this the the character looks. It just looks. He looks strange. It's not scary. Mm-hmm. it's just um it's not even like it's it's hard to look at or off-putting or anything like that it just doesn't i don't know it just doesn't work for me i'm i'm totally with you jen it's just wrong and and i am again trying to let go of the fact that he can't be robert england right like you can't live up to that so i kind of expected him to do something really different with the role 
And I'm with you, Sebastian. The cool thing he does is when he like rubs his fingers together and they make that blade sound. I was like, yeah, that's cool. But that's it. I think the look of him, he looks stupid. Like it's like he's got these weird like kind of buck teeth that make him look kind of dorky. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know they're going for like a burn look, but like he doesn't look disgusting. He looks kind of gross, but he's not scary looking. And on top of that, what they do with his voice is like he never sounds like he's in the scene. No. All of his 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 dialogue has clearly been recorded in ADR. Yes. And it's just like it's like floating digitally on top of the scene. Yes. So it I I know that that's a choice to like make it cool and creepy. But the whole time I was sitting there, I was like, why does this not work? Like, why is this not cool? And I was like, I don't know. He's just he's just not cool. He's like slow moving. His lines aren't very good. His delivery isn't really good. Bad job. Like, bad job. I What can I say? Maybe you shouldn't hire famous actors. I'd rather just have nobodies playing my monsters. I remember reading a little bit about the production, and I think that the reason why his lines are so heavily ADR'd is because they rewrote a lot of his dialogue. They were unhappy with whatever the initial stuff was, and so they just kind of kept redoing it in um, post. And I feel like you can kind of hear a little bit of annoyance in Jackie Earl Haley's voice, like, oh, I've got a number. What's this line? Oh, uh, <laughs> you, you know. His lines are are weird. Like, they're trying to be funny, but they're not really funny because they're in this really touch, uh, tough position of trying to live up to Robert Englund's sort of famous one-lines and taunting. You know, I think the only one I really liked is when he says, like, why are you screaming? I haven't even cut you yet. That one, I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good, you know. But you know, he, you know, most of them are kind of creepy in a bad way. They play up the sort the child molester angle of the character that was only really hinted at, and wisely so, I believe, in the original. And so, you know, his lines are sort of coming from this perverted place a lot of the time and i really don't <laughs> think that helps sell the lovability of freddy that's kind of like what's i think doesn't sit well for myself and sounds like you and and probably rodney as well as it's like because we just knew him you know originally as a child murderer and which is implied you know we don't there wasn't just killing there was probably other things that were going on that were terrible as well however now it's all about the yuck stuff. And it's like, that's the, that can't be funny. You can't have like one liners and like be like creepy like that. And it's like, you, you just don't know what to do with that. More yuck, yuck and less yuck, I think is the problem. You know what I think it is? Original Freddy Krueger, he, there's a certain gleefulness to the fact that he gets to kill people in dreams. Even in the first movie where he has very few lines, you can tell he enjoys what he's doing, but this version is more like a suffering burn victim who's like condemned to this hellish fate. And he's, you know, he wants revenge, but it doesn't seem like he really loves being the dream master, if you will, or whatever. I know he's not the dream master is actually that other girl, but whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that's not even touching all the, the child molester stuff, which I assume we're going to go into in more depth. Because that's like a major change. We're, we'll save that for the last act because that's when it really comes into play. But I feel that it's in there even in these you know, opening sequences. He's sort of 
leaning into this uh, I'm I'm being creepy in a weird sort of subtly sexual way. Yeah. I did kind of think just cuz it's so weird. We moved into the second act. We have Chris. She, you know, she's kind of freaking out. She's sort of learning ab- about this past, this shared past that they all have in this preschool and you know, she really knew all these her friends, but they didn't they don't remember each other. And there's this sort of dream sequence where she goes out and she's like she hears her dog barking, which the dog it was a really c- cute dog. But she goes out and the dog, Rufus, Rufus, yes. And but Rufus is dead. Uh, Fred has killed Rufus only in the dream. I think I don't think Rufus is dead in real life unless Rufus was dreaming and he killed Rufus in Rufus's dream, in which case they should have definitely have had a dog dream. Yeah, I wanted to see the dog dream go into a nightmare (laughs) like the dog running around the boiler room, chasing bones that keep running away from him. (laughs) I have a bone to pick with the boiler room, but let me get there in a second. I did kind of like it in an ironic way when she goes out to find Rufus and Rufus is dead and Fred's like, I was just petting him (laughs) with his claws. I was like, "Ah." you know, for this movie, that was a pretty good line. But really, you know, a lot of these things that happen in this, the second act buildup are just sort of replays of what happened in the original one thing i think that was different was i don't recall i don't think and i've seen the first one a million times i i don't think did rod come to nancy's house in the first one like is the guy jesse i don't think so i mean i only remember glenn coming to her bedroom window no i don't think he does i don't think so either so that was something that was a little different as we get jesse like stopping off at Nancy's, right? Like it covered yeah. in blood and and all of that. Um, this dude only comes in through bedroom windows. He doesn't know what front <laughs> doors are for. Not at all. Just all about the windows. And one thing I want to say about the Chris murder scene is in the original, it was done with the old revolving room trick. Mm-hmm. And you see her uh, kind of climbing the walls because they've, they've shot it with a stationary camera, but with a room that goes around. In this, it's very clearly... They probably have a set with no real ceiling and they've got her on wires and they're like throwing her around the room and wires and then digitally erasing the wires and the ceiling and stuff. And it's not bad looking. It looks it looks fine. Uh, but when you compare it to the ingenuity of the original, it once again comes up short. You're spot on like it again. The, the original is so much like it's so cool the way that original scene is shot and this one, she's flying around and it's just not as powerful yeah. because it's not shot from the perspective of the guy on the floor. Her death is cool when she gets like split down the middle and blood wells up like it. It's a violent scene. And I was like, OK, yeah. But can we just briefly talk about how much time we spend as, with Chris as like the main character? Like, yeah, we're on Chris for I didn't time it, but it felt like 30 minutes before we actually like I know you we meet Rooney Mara, but it basically it, it tries to do the psycho thing where it's like this blonde girl's the main character, but gotcha. And I'm like, but I've already, I know Rooney's the main character. His name's Nancy. Why are we wasting all this time? Yeah. Well, you know, I guess they're trying to f- fake out the uh, younger crowd who is not familiar with the original. Totally fair. But as somebody who is a fan of the series, it does sort of feel like they're being weirdly too slavish to the original, at least in that first half of the second act now 
as the the second act goes on, we you know we get things that are sort of new additions to the story. You know, the whole preschool backstory uh, is not in the original. They have a vague sort of implication of stuff like that in the original, but they really lean into it here. I don't mind that. I think it's you know it's I'm, I'm just glad that they're doing something kind of different at least at that point. I will say that out of all the things they could have named the preschool, they call it the Bad Ham School. Bad-um. And I was like, yeah, I know it says Badham, but that's Bad Ham. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a really weird name. Could have named it anything. But the one the one thing I will give this movie some credit for, I mean, there's a couple others, but the fact that they all knew each other when they were kids yeah. and they all went to the same school and interacted with Fred Krueger when he was alive it makes more sense why the parents would be dismissive of their their nightmares, right? Because they'd say you're, you're, they would think you're having traumatic nightmares of that guy that molested you. That makes sense to me, as opposed to in the other ver in the original where it's like, that's funny. My daughter's dreaming of that man I murdered that she never met, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I and I do like the the idea of like rooney or or chris whoever you want to say discovers it that like finding out that they're all connected and finding the photograph and i i do give credit for that because it does create like a a breadcrumb trail for her to follow yeah i didn't mind it at all i actually also wanted to bring up there was something that i had forgotten about that i saw on this watch um which takes us to the bad ham school um (laughs) was that you know nancy's in the tub And, you know, you see Freddie's glove come up and I'm like, and I was like, here we go. You know, we're just going to do what we did with that before. And they did a little differently, which I appreciated that. And also they brought uh, some technology into it because she had a cell phone alarm to wake her up now, which that wasn't available. Cell phones, which felt really outdated now. They like they're already super outdated. 2010. Man, when I yeah. see outdated cell phones in movies, I just have to <laughs> laugh. <laughs> Those cell phones are so old. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I appreciated the addition of the, the school and that, that whole thing. Because I, I really did like that from the original as well, like it, which they didn't go in as deep. But, you yeah. know, just that it's, it's, a, it's a creepy, just a creepy concept. So then after that, after that whole scene, like Quentin, basically, she wakes up in the tub and Quentin calls and tells her Jesse is dead. Um, then we get this prerequisite scene in every horror movie uh, where uh, Quentin is researching. Uh, he's running low on his uh, pharmaceutical speed, but he's researching on Gigablast. <laughs> all about uh dreams and stuff at the like coffee shop library he and nancy giga blast the badham preschool you know how is (laughs) bad ham bad i mean i'm like maybe it's a (laughs) reference to john badham the director of uh saturday night fever and the 1979 dracula but that's probably a stretch (laughs) And, you know, I believe this is when they set up the idea of micro naps where you Mm. can Mm -hmm. you can just be sort of uh, fall asleep just for a few seconds. I have a feeling we might have an argument about this. So I'm excited. Yeah, I feel it brewing. (laughs) (laughs) I feel the opposite of whatever you think. I kind (laughs) of like the micro naps idea. 
What do you think about that, Rodney? Do you like micronaps? <laughs> Fuck micronaps, bro. I think this is the dumbest fucking thing in the entire movie. And from this point forward, it becomes such a laughing stock of a film because of the introduction of this concept. I, I literally hate it. I, I, it basically is an excuse to have nonstop jump scares from this point forward. Yeah. Why do you like them? Well, first of all, it ups the stakes a little bit because, you know, we're not just waiting for them to get tired and fall asleep. Now things can kind of happen at the, at like any moment. And at one point they're, they're uh, back at the high school, I think. And that's when we get uh, uh, Nancy seeing the Chris character in the body bag, which is another visual reference to something that happens in the original one. Again, not done as well. I totally agree with you, and you definitely are right that now they've got license to throw jump scares at you uh, at, a, at, a, at a dizzying pace. So I'll give you that, that that is an obnoxious uh, uh, byproduct of the micronaps, but I do think that there's some fun to be had with them. But and it allows things to happen, like you know, one character to walk down a hallway and see, you know, scary vision and and whatever. And it also allows for Quentin to have a micro nap as he's at his swim meet. I really appreciated how pasty poor um, Kyle Kyle Gallner or whatever it was. He's like really pasty, and you can tell that he probably doesn't swim. And he's looking really uncomfortable in his little speedo suit. But, you know, he has a micro nap and he wakes up <laughs> in like a pool in a warehouse district. <laughs> like he just wakes up in this pool and it's like outside. I mean, I guess it's a dream. So whatever. But then we're sort of treated to the uh, origin, quote unquote, of Fred, uh, where the parents are chasing him into this warehouse room and they throw um, Molotov cocktails in the room and burn him alive. And as he's burning alive, he rips off his jacket to expose the, <laughs> the striped sweater, <laughs> which I felt was, was a real forced reveal of the sweater. I'm like, bro, I've, I've been watching your movie for an hour. I already know what his sweater looks like. This is not a reveal. Obviously that's the bad guy. Wait, I need to park on this moment real quick because I know you want to talk about the origin, but that swim meet is the worst scene I've seen in almost any horror movie. And it's the scene I reference whenever I talk about this to anyone. The guy falls asleep while swimming. He's in the middle of a swim meet and he falls asleep. Someone wrote that and they like put it in a movie. It makes no sense, guys. Come on. It's admit a micro that. Nap. That makes no sense. It's a micro nap, Rodney. It's <laughs> in a between micro nap. strokes. He just nodded off for a second in the That's middle of what swimming. Happens. That's how powerful they are. You know what? I'm going to stay awake for three days straight just to see. I want to see if I can fall asleep while I'm making a sandwich and then just wake up with the sandwich in my mouth. That's actually way more believable than swimming. But all right. <laughs> I've said my piece about this. But you guys, we we didn't we we forgot to talk about this was right before we get into the how Fred was burned with the, the Molotov cocktails or whatever. We did have that flashback. And I think we would we have to take a moment for this where we get to see Fred Krueger as a gardener. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's not he's not burned. No. He, look, he's, he looks very, very nice. And nice he's guy. got a, and he's got like a, 
a kind of a strange southern accent and he's he's you know living in the basement of the preschool yes <laughs> nothing nothing weird about that i mean you know the thing, <laughs> be there he was just, just the gardener and he lived in the basement of the preschool and boy he loved you kids <laughs> he loved you kids were his life and we see him just so happy with all the kids you have a job get an apartment why are you living in the basement of the school and how and, come everyone is okay with this right like how why were any parents okay with sending their kids to a school where the weirdo gardener lives in the basement and it's and it's okay <laughs> And he's like, he like, it's okay that they go down there and do like art projects with him or whatever. Yeah. Honey, did you fill out that application for the Badham School? You know, they have their own on-premises gardener slash caretaker slash kid watcher, babysitter. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it seems, it seems like, uh, you know, Fred got caught doing some stuff. So, so they burn him alive. Uh, there's a really sort of bad uh, moment where, uh, he runs out of the burning building and he's on fire, but here's, here's my real problem with all of this is throughout this movie, both before and after this scene, we get boiler room imagery. There's no friggin' boiler room in any of this origin like he's not in a boiler room is he supposed to be in a boiler room when they burn him alive i mean in the original movie they burn him alive in a boiler room and that's why the boiler room is sort of his primary dream hunting ground like that's why he's always drawing people into the boiler room is because that's where he died this isn't a boiler room it's like some sort of like relay room there's like it's not a boiler room and this always really bugged me about the movie like why does he bring children why does he bring these teenagers into his dream boiler room he didn't die in one because when he was alive he always wanted a boiler room <laughs> He was like, one day I'm going to move out of this preschool basement and into the boiler room of my dreams. Into a sweet boiler room. <laughs> and your parents denied me that. So I'm going to kill you all. You're totally right. It, I, it, it makes no sense in this movie because because the answer to your question, anytime you have a question, it's because that's what happened in the original. Right. I'll just do it again. But I come back to the point that the director doesn't actually like the movie. So he doesn't care about answering these things with any detail. Yeah, it really, even when I first saw the movie, and I think I was a lot more forgiving of the movie than probably either of you. And upon my first view, well, no, actually, no, my first viewing, I was not forgiving of it because I saw a test screening and it was pretty much resoundingly terrible and we all gave it terrible marks. But then I saw it again when it came out, however many months later, and I was like, well, okay, they kind of improved it. Like, <laughs> this is better. You know, good. I'm glad you took my notes. If I've learned anything from your from your podcast, it's that instead of just watching good movies, if I just watch the bad ones over and over, I'll start to like them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I call it force feeding, Rodney. <laughs> yeah, I've seen The Wolfman 42 <laughs> times now. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's, it is hard in this movie, I'll give you that. We um, then we move on to um, Nancy watching a video blog because those were pretty hip back then, 2010. Um, we get the um, Asian actor from the Friday the Thirteenth remake. I don't remember his name, so I'm sorry. It's um, it's um, isn't it? Well, I don't know what his his name in the I wrote down his name was Martin Yon. I think that was his character name. His no, character I don't think name. that's his. 
Yeah, I don't I don't know what his real name is off the top of my head. Anyway. He's in the Friday the thirteenth remake as one yeah. of the main characters and he's he's pretty good in that. Um, you know. Yeah. No, he, he's he's good. He's like kind of this kind of a stoner in that, right? Yes. Yeah, I think he's the dude he gets the screwdriver in um, here he just talks into the screen and then he's, you know, talking about how he can't sleep and how he's being uh, tormented by Freddy. And then he like smashes his head against the, the screen. So it's basically a snuff blog because you know, I think we're to assume he's dead after that. And then we sort of get this, you know, Quentin comes back from his dream and he confronts uh, Clancy Brown, who's his father. Who is he? A guidance counselor? He he's a teacher at the school, but they never make it clear. There's, a, I thought there was a line about him being the guidance counselor. That's what I thought too. That was the only thing I could grasp onto. For all I know, he was the principal. I have no idea. He and um, and uh, Nancy confront uh, Dad about killing Fred. He says they might have made it up. This is also a frustrating moment in the movie because at that point, I'm like. Oh, that's a good twist. Like they mm-hmm. didn't, it just didn't even happen. Like he, it was, he was a falsely accused. Like, I feel like if they had gone in that direction and I'm sure there is a draft of the script where they did go in that direction and then they chickened out. But I feel like that was a, a potentially a good twist that Freddie could have, Fred could have been innocent even though I've seen this before, I had forgotten that until and when it popped up this time. And I was like, ooh, yeah, they're doing a whole like uh, the McMartin trial, you know, type thing. The what was that? The um, the preschool where, you know, the, the, the owners were accused of something yeah. uh, like they were doing the, the satanic panic stuff or whatever, yeah. which was all bullshit. So, I, I yeah, I was like, oh, they're going to do this now because that was the, you know, Quentin and Nancy were, you know, saying to Clancy Brown, we were just kids. We could have said anything. Why didn't you go to the police? And I thought, OK, yeah, let's let's yeah, th- this makes it even better that, you know, he he wasn't a creep like he, he was unjustly murdered by the mob. Well, and it gives it gives Fred a real reason to come after them, which I'd never really yeah. felt that he had even in the original film. He's like, why is he? he it never really made total sense to me why Fred <laughs> is after the kids. And I felt like this because well, he's like, you guys totally stop my murder spree and I'm pissed. So I'm going to kill your kids. He, he like, <laughs> I guess that's as good of a reason as any to come back from the dead. Uh, <laughs> that's enough. That sometimes that's all you need. Well, I, I yeah, I just think it would have been a nice layer to. You might have actually sympathized with Fred at that point. That you know, well, he's coming back for vengeance because they really screwed him over. But they back out of that in the climax, which is kind of lame. Okay, so now here's where uh, we're going to resume our fight about the micronaps because um, Quentin has uh, run out of his pharmaceutical speed, so they go to the pharmacy, and so that we get this whole sort of set piece that takes place in the pharmacy where Quentin's trying to get his drugs, the pharmacist isn't going to let him have his drugs, Nancy's having micronaps in the car and she burnt, you know, she's got to burn herself with a car lighter to uh, stay awake. And then she goes into the pharmacy. And I think this is the best scene in the movie for one reason, because it's not doing anything that was done in the original and doing it poorly. Because I think it's really cool, despite the presence of the boiler room, I think it's really cool when she's sort of toggling in between um, as Fred's coming down the 
the aisle and he's swiping in the dream and stuff's falling off the aisles shelves as he's swiping. I feel like they really use the micronap idea really effectively there to make a cool scene. It's something we haven't seen before in a Nightmare on Elm Street film. Rodney, tell me why I'm wrong. Because <laughs> the scene's not really that good. Because like, <laughs> I like that she's attacked at the drugstore. But first of all, she knows she's being hunted by this like vicious dream killer. But she keeps refusing any kind of drugs that will keep her awake, which is really weird. And then on top of that, he's like, I'm going to go into the well-lit gr- drugstore. Do you want to come with me? And she's like, no, nah, I'll just sit in the quiet, dark car where I totally won't fall asleep. So it it's already not making sense, but I, it also is when she gets attacked. Oh my God. How, you know, like it's the, it's the way the editing is right. It's again, it's that opposite of being subtle. It's, it's like cutting back and forth between the reality and the dream. And yeah, it's cool that he swipes and like knocks some shit off the shelf. It's just like, I don't know. I think the I think the movie is so mediocre up to this point that you're just happy that Freddy Krueger is slashing at her. Are you saying me personally? Or are you saying yes, you, <laughs> you, you Sebastian? <laughs> no, I honestly, I honestly think there's some like clever filmmaking there. I think it's a clever conceit. It's just I think it's it's got a level of ingenuity to it that I appreciate and am so desperately craving in this movie well it actually I, and i think i said to you when we were watching this i was like oh i this is this is like the one thing that i remember from watching this before is because i remember the the scene i remember with the with the cigarette lighter in the car and everything and i do also i have to tell you rodney i was frustrated as hell the entire time with her not partaking in some sort of drugs of some sort because yeah thank you come on like, yeah, no, that that was frustrating for me as well, because I'm just like, I, you know, I don't know what your deal is as to why you won't do this. And I trust me, I get it. <laughs> I, I come from a place of, of that as well. But we're dealing with Fred and micro naps. Well, and at least Nancy in the original, she's like popping like no sleep or whatever, like yeah. no dose. No dose or whatever. Well, it is, it's yeah. it's a knockoff right. version a of knock no off. dose. That I, yes. It's a funny name, yes. but I forget what it's called like no sleep or something. can't sleep yeah. or something yeah um so yeah she should at least be doing like five hour energy drinks like crazy or whatever isn't that what the kids like to do get all hopped up on those i think they, they like snort red bull yeah they, she should have done that <laughs> you, you forgot to mention an important thing which is that they tell you if you if you do, if you don't sleep for like 70 hours you'll go into a coma that lasts yeah. forever and i think that's important later I totally forgot that. I, that's one of those things that has just glossed over me, even though I've seen this movie more times than any human being should be legally allowed to see it. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> it, it does come back later, but I, I did not read, ever register that they set that up in there. It's like when they're doing all their research. Right, okay. When they're using when they're using Gigablast. I was just so hyped up on Gigablast and Micronaps that I it just went yeah. right over my head. I kind of want to do like a comprehensive listing of fake search engines from movies and like what's the best? What's the what's the champion? It might be Gigablast. And then start it. Like make do it as a startup and beat Google and become <laughs> masters of the universe to be fair i don't want to shit all over this drugstore scene i'm gonna go back after this and just rewatch that part because like maybe maybe it's maybe i'm being a little harsh on it you both seem pretty pretty excited and there are parts in the movie that are cool maybe this is one of them so i'll i'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt here even though i watched it last night and can't remember it 
<laughs> I appreciate that you're giving this movie any props at all because I expected this to be a bloodbath. Now we're down to our final two, Quentin and Nancy. They, she gets cut, and they so they go to the hospital. And um, did you did you recognize the nurse from the hospital? Do did either of you recognize who this is? I had that moment of like she looks familiar, but no idea. She is the actress who played the original April O'Neil in the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Uh, they, oh, yeah, she was the original April. How exciting! I wasn't. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles guy, but I did put those the, that together. They go back to give Nancy um, pain meds. Because uh, the mom signs it, Connie Britton signs off on it. Right. And let me ask you this. What is she signing? She's like signing her over to like a mental institution or something? Or is it just to give her no. pain meds? It didn't seem like that because like they, they kind of do like a long shot on the document that she's signing. And I was looking at it and I'm like, it just, I don't know. I mean, if that's what they were implying is like, we're, we're going to let you commit her or something. Right. But it, it, it said, I hereby swear that I did not burn a man alive for molesting my daughter 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it says at the top something like permission to administer medical care. Yeah. So I assume it's basically like, I hereby give permission for you to like forcibly inject my daughter with sleeping meds right which why do we need to have a shot of the document there it's, it's they put emphasis on the document which was strange because if that's all it is then who cares we don't need to see this document but then we get the moment where former april o'neill goes to inject her and she lifts up her hand and no oh, she's got the freddy claw which micro nap yeah we'll <laughs> see good use of micro nap there you don't get that without a micro nap no sirree bob <laughs> yeah quentin like grabs some adrenaline out of a drawer and like dude i watched this movie like 24 hours ago and i don't remember what happens they like yeah they run in the car and he's like no that doesn't even show them running out that just shows them in the car right. like they come back to the room nancy's gone cut to they're in the car and right. quentin's busting out the adrenaline to shoot it up right like we don't even know how they get out yeah, it's one of those like i oh, don't worry about it just, we just need to get to the next scene they get away okay yeah um <laughs> yeah so he uh Quentin juices up in the leg. And of course, I mean, you guys picked up, right? His name is Quentin, Quentin Tarantino, yeah. uh, Pulp Fiction. Uh, I don't understand the reference. Did you... There's a director <laughs> named Quentin Tarantino who directed okay. some pretty famous films over the last 25 years or so. And oh, one of them exciting. featured very uh, prominently an adrenaline, adrenaline shot sequence. You should check it out. It's called Pulp Fiction. It's pretty good. Oh, interesting. Oh, I'll put it on the list. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Quentin shoots up in his leg. Um, they have a their sort of tender moment where they're driving to the abandoned preschool, um, and Quentin asks her out on a real date. Uh, and I liked this line. She sort of puts him off, and he says, well, why don't you sleep on it? And I was like... All right. Clever writing there. Uh, but then Fred shows up because they micro nap, I guess, for a second. And then they drive off the road. They've got to walk the rest of the way to the school. How did Quentin micro nap after he just shot himself up with adrenaline? Like, yeah, that was my one thing was I was like, I mean, maybe he's just that tired. I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to nitpick things, but I, I, I really that was my honest thought was like, didn't he just take this adrenaline? Yeah. I'm going to nitpick too. Cause the same thing happens when she burns herself with a lighter, like your arm would hurt so bad that the whole point of doing it is so you can stay awake for like maybe 20 more minutes. 
So why go through all this like they get adrenaline in the injection in his leg if it doesn't have a purpose? Fair enough. I think they're just trying to sort of set things up and then do reversals yeah. and then set things up. You know, I get it. It definitely doesn't make total sense. But I also see they're trying to keep you, you know, engaged like with things. So but yeah, it doesn't really make sense. What also doesn't make sense is that this creepy fucking school is not been turned into like <laughs> luxury condos or something it's still there with the paint peeling off the wall and like creepy kid artwork all over the wall you know look it's a horror movie we need to have our climax take place in some place creepy you know they set it up that this preschool was the place of you know where all these terrible things happened but it's sort of ridiculously art directed in that way that would never happen in real life and then they find Fred's molesting cave. Like, they find his bedroom first, which still has his bed in it. <laughs> like, Here's the thing that I don't understand, right? Because they make a big point about how they never went to the cops. And they just, like, assumed he was molesting their kids. So the implication is that this place was closed down because, you know, of what Fred Krueger did. But from the perspective of reality, Fred Krueger just disappeared one day and didn't come to work. Right. And so... Wouldn't the, didn't the maintenance crew go downstairs and they like his like his knife glove is still sitting on the table. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it it's literally like they're like, how can we run this place without good old Fred Krueger doing the lawn? Close it down. Just close it down, Shelly. They locked the front door and left. <laughs> right. One of one of two things would have happened. One, people would have found out about these horrible things and they would have torn the place down. Or two, no one would have found out about these things and they would have just kept the place running and turned his bedroom into another classroom or, you know, it would still be a school. <laughs> what wouldn't doesn't make sense is that now it's the haunted town, haunted house or whatever. It's not the Michael Myers house. You know what I mean? It's like it shouldn't. It, yeah, it doesn't make sense because you're right. They don't go to the cops. So nobody should know that this was a horrible place. But I'll just assume that like, they didn't pay their county taxes on time. And so the county just kicked them all out and chained it up. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they find his bedroom, which still has his gross bed in it, which will actually come into play later. And then they find his creepy molesting cave, which is sort of another room in there. You know, and, and just to put it out there, you know, we're making light of a lot of this, but we do are not making light of, you know, child abuse in any way. This is what makes the movie i think ultimately no fun i mean and i and i can deal with this in a horror movie context if we're we're talking about something that's you know really hard and serious or whatever but we're trying to have fun here the thing about freddy krueger is that there's a fun element to him and when you introduce this into it like the fun is gone now he's just a disgusting creep and i'm not on his side in any way the way that you are with your favorite horror franchise characters where you know you secretly are on jason's side and you're secretly at this point you're just not on his side and i think this is truly the tragic flaw of this film i 100 percent had that same feeling and this is also you're you're so you're possibly on his side because only of what was mentioned earlier or alluded to that this was like the kids had lied about it right yeah so then like at that point you're like fuck them up freddie like you know these kids lied like you were you were wrongly murdered by this mob and then now 
here's the like the the pictures yuck that are you know he he did do it like he's after them like the lying quentin says is like he's not after us because we lied he's after us because we told the truth and that just yeah it's just that whatever you were hanging on to that this film was going somewhere like you just really feel like the wind just go right out of the sails so it's like and to make it even worse fred wants them to remember his abuse of them like that's yeah. specifically cited as his motivation that he wants them to remember so it's sort of gross layer upon gross layer so much gross and just so like just bad it's like there's nowhere to you can't there's nowhere to go from here a tiny detail earlier in that when you see the flashback of them as kids there's like a shot of young chris the blonde girl and you see that like her back has been like clawed and she's got scars on her back mm -hmm. so this this notion that like maybe they made it up is fucking nonsense because like she clearly came home with her back carved up and you, you know her dress torn up so like it's like the movie's not even sure if it's trying to pull that joke on you or not but Sebastian, you're totally right. I'm I'm with Jason. I want to watch Jason murder a bunch of people, right? But like, it's hard to root for the dude that like raped a bunch of little kids. Like that's messed up. Yeah. And and I'm a big fan of messed up content. Like give me the messed up stuff. But like, this movie just feels like it's going a little too far. And the fact that he keeps like bringing it up, it's it's just like it makes it feel so icky yeah. that you can no longer have fun. You're totally right. They have like a moment in one of the flashbacks where they show Jackie Earl Haley holding up a gardener claw. <laughs> like, like that's yes, where yes. he got the idea to make the claw. And I don't know, or maybe he was clawing them with that, not the knife hand. But then they find the knife hand, which is also not really set up in this movie. In the original movie, that's the weapon he used. And he, right. he, put those in the furnace of the boiler room that he was burned in and they find you know like i think the mom still has them in the boiler room their boiler at home or whatever so they really set up the knife hands whereas in this is did he really have that knife hand glove in real life or is that just part of his dream persona and it was the gardening tool in real life it's not made no because because when they go down into the basement, Quentin and Rooney, or sorry, Nancy, on the, on the table, there's like one of the knife fingers as right. though he was like in the midst of assembling it. Like right. it was his life. Like he was like, pretty soon my knife glove will be ready. If it weren't for those meddling adults. <laughs> yeah, right. So maybe he never got to finish his knife glove project. And you know, I think was... I think that's what it is. Okay. Okay, well, that, that tracks. I think even in the original, or I think it's the original, though, don't we actually see him making yes. his glove? It's the opening yep. yeah, sequence. Yeah, that's like, it's a whole thing. Yeah, yes. that's what I remember with, like, the fire, and he's, like, putting his glove together. Yes. So, I, yeah, I see exactly, I mean, like, there's so much care and detail going into, like, the glove history Yeah. in the original that it's just to be so, like, brushed over now and just... Yeah, it's it's it falls short to also mention um, when we're talking about the yuck going into once these Polaroids are found and that whole thing happens, like the yuck gets dialed up so high, like all the yuck lines just start coming. Yeah, I, I emphasize that it's hard to offend me. And this this scene really offended me. Like there's like multiple moments where I was like, that's gross. Like that. Take that out. 
<laughs> well, and to make matters worse, we go into the basic setup of the climax, which is similar to the original, where Nancy has figured out earlier in the pharmacy, she pulled out a little piece of uh, Fred's sweater. So she knows that she can bring some corporeal element of him out into reality. So she's going to go into sleep. Quentin's going to watch her. She's going to grab Fred and pull him out. So she goes to his gross uh, molester bed, goes to sleep. Quentin grabs a paper cutter blade off of an old paper cutter that's lying around to to do some Fred killing. But of course, you know, stupid Quentin falls asleep. So we go into this big final dream sequence where both Nancy and Quentin are both sleeping. So they're sort of both dealing with the dream world. Quentin ends up in the boiler room that Fred never was burned alive in. And he throws him around and he slashes him pretty bad in the chest. But then Nancy calls out and because Fred has kept telling her, you've always been my favorite, you know, so he's really got a mad um, boner for her. So he goes chasing after her and, um, you know, there's, we get sort of a replay in some ways of uh, the climax of the original film. At one point she's uh, in the original Nancy's running up the stairs and her feet sink into the stairs. And this time, um, she's running down a hallway and then she falls into like the, the rug and it's all bloody water or well, whatever. I like this part because 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 he has one of the better lines here and he goes, how's that for a wet dream? Right. <laughs> and I was like, OK, that's one of the only lines that sound like an OG Robert Englund line. You know, that's something I could he would definitely have said. But so she falls into that, uh, falls into the water and falls through the floor and into her own bed at home. And now she's wearing the little girl out dress that she used to wear. And this is where it, re for me, this is where it gets really it's gross. A, no. I like the part where she falls through the ceiling too. It's yeah. a little CG. But th this whole sequence with the bloody hallway, while it's brief, I, I will give credit where credit is due. I was like, that part was well done. I also, no, I just was also, I, I like the, the sequence with the hallway. I like when she falls into her bed. I also appreciated uh, that Quentin fashioned a weapon out of one of those giant paper cutters because those things have always, anytime in an office or whatever, I'm like, this thing is crazy. I'm just glad to see somebody using it as a weapon because it is. And, and then totally like the Glenn before him, you know, he, the, the homage comes back again where, you know, that, that all happens. But I, I, I was here for all that. It was fine. It was Nancy in the baby dress where I just was like, I just can't, I can't. And this is one more gross. Like I, 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 I actually took notes of the things. Cause I was like, these are all so gross. Like your mouth says no, but your body says yes. And I just wrote barf because it was just like, <laughs> it's just so yuck. It's so yuck. And and then he, she, when she first runs into Freddy, she says, fuck you to him. And he says, that's a little fast for me. Why don't we just hang first? And it's just like. And then he shows her bodies hanging on the, in the boiler room. That's just terrible. <laughs> and I like, and, and I like puns, you know, but this is just not, it's not okay. None of this is okay. And, he, you know, he's running his one of his uh, knife fingers, like upper skirt. And they it's it's really I won't say shocking, but it's it's surprising that this was a creative decision that they decided to go with. Because to Rodney's point of 
the director or whoever not really understanding the what people like about this series you know this is not what people like about the nightmare on elm street series this is not what they want to see freddie doing I, I think they really are just trying to be like yo let's like we're gonna earn that r rating so hard people are gonna love it it just has aged really poorly also from like i mean this why i brought up the coma thing is because the implication that he basically says here right is like i basically have kept you awake for all this time specifically so you would fall into a permanent coma and i could just like have you for eternity in your dream state yeah which is like really creepy but also i i have a i have a question i have to ask that's a little icky but like if fred krueger is into kids why is he into 18 year old rooney mara right like that doesn't really even make sense within the logic of the film yep and that sort of occurred to me too Although I did like I, I did that was when he says that about having her trapped there forever, that at least was a moment in the movie where I kind of got a little bit of a like, ugh, you know, I mean, just because the idea I, I, I get sort of things like that where I, you know, concepts where people are going to be trapped like fine, murder me, stab me with a fucking machete, cut off my head. It's all good. That's going to be like two seconds and we're over. But the idea of, you know, keeping me in your dream world for forever and, you know, tormenting me is that that actually gives me kind of a bit of a chill. But yeah, it doesn't. You're right. It doesn't really track with the whole child molester idea that he'd be just as jazzed to do it to her now. I mean, they could have had her regress to a younger age in the dream like why does she have to be that age in the dream but i i'm sure that was a bridge too far that they weren't even willing to go to go for even you hearing you describe it is making me uncomfortable yes (laughs) right like well there's maybe you should have directed this no uh (laughs) there's just nowhere to go with that idea unfortunately you know what i mean i think they just they it was a bad idea they shouldn't have gone there at all like i feel like if they thought that they were going to be edgy or try to like, you know, it's 2010 and we're just going to really, you know, earn the R rating, like you said, or, you know, just try to have like a shock value. It just, it just came off just like, this is this really poor taste. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work with what this film is. There's a little part of me that applauds them for trying to be gross. Yeah. They just fail at it. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't work. I think that what they're, what they misunderstand and what a lot of people misunderstand about the, the slasher genre, especially when you're dealing with sort of supernatural characters or supernatural adjacent characters like Freddie, Jason, and Michael, is that it's more a fantasy thing. And when you become a fan of these movies, you end up becoming a fan of the characters, even though they're reprehensible and horrible murderers. It's sort of similar to the way you feel about superheroes or, uh, you know, other fantasy characters. You don't want them too tethered to to the terrible, horrible things that really happen in real life. It's fine for them to stab people and hack them apart. That's the depraved part of us that is satisfied. But we don't want to see really horrible atrocities occur at the hands of these characters they are in some weird way fantasy figures to us and we we don't want to see that well said you summed that up very well 
basically, uh, you know, Nancy stabs Fred in the eye with something, but, you know, he can't die in this world. We do get the line, I'm I'm your boyfriend now, which, you know, is, of course, is a callback to the original. Quentin tries to wake her up. She won't wake up. So we get this scene where he shoots her in the heart with the adrenaline, calling back to Pulp Fiction. This wakes her up, but and she drags uh, Fred into reality. You know, they fight in reality, um, which is, you know, pretty satisfying at that point. Um, she cuts off his hand with the paper cutter blade and then slashes his yes. throat. And she says, you're in my world now, bitch. Which, decent line. I feel like that might have been said in one of the other movies, but I'm not sure. One of the other Nightmare movies, but I'm not sure. Yeah, and that's basically it. They uh, burn the uh, the creepy school and... Um... Again. <laughs> yeah, like, learn from your fucking past. Also, why? Like, they now have proof of, like, the burned dream killer that they pulled into reca- reality. Right. Why don't they, like, take pictures, call the cops, be like, look, we found Fred Krueger, right? Like, it would help explain anything that they might need to explain, right? In case they're going to be accused of murder. But they're like, no, nah, no, nah, let's just burn it all. Well, not only... So, wait. So, he, his body is still there, right? After they kill him. Yeah. She, like, cuts... She slashes his neck open. He, like, bleeds to death. And he's just a dead body on the floor. Right. So, like, for the sequel, they should have not burned down the building. They should have called the police. They should have explained to him, look, this is a guy that's been dead for... I don't know how many years. Like 15 years. Right. I guess there'd be no way to way to prove that because they never, I guess, found his body to begin with. They could do like carbon dating, I guess. But then you could do a whole <laughs> sequel where like now we're dealing with a reality where you can like pull people out of dreams. Like, what does that mean? And then you've got your, your dream warriors and all that. So, yeah, missed opportunity there. But uh, so, yeah, that's basically it until we get our stinger scene where Nancy and mom return home and there's a mirror and Freddie's in the mirror, in the mirror and he, <laughs> he throws his claws out of the mirror and they go right through mom's, the back of mom's the head eyes. and out the front of her face and her, her eyeballs are on the tips of his <laughs> knife fingers and it's really dumb. It, uh, it's literally just like the movie ends with a sign that says, fuck you, go home. <laughs> like... So it's so odd. Like, to be fair, I think most Nightmare on Elm Street films end with like this ridiculous stinger that's sort of like non-canon. Yes. You know? The um, first movie has a terrible one. It's terrible. Yeah. So, I mean, it's no worse than that if we're being brutally honest. The first one is not the one where she gets like sucked through the door. No, that's when she gets yes. in the car. Yes. Yeah. Oh, right. Well, the mom does. Right. She gets in the car. The car like is a convertible that closes up. That has red, it's got Freddy's sweater painted on it, basically, on the convertible roof. And then mom gets sucked through the, what do you call it, like the the peephole? No, it's like the, um, it's that glass, like, it's got a fancy name, I don't know, the glass above the door. That's like super small. So it's like it's not for a person to be pulled through. Yeah. But, she suddenly yeah, becomes whatever. like an inflatable sex doll and is then and is <laughs> yeah. yanked through the <laughs> tiny window in the door. So yes. it's not like they had a lot to to live up to here because that's pretty terrible. But this is terrible, too. And then we get Dream by the Everly Brothers or whatever <laughs> over the end credits. Yes. And that's basically sure. the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. 
So um, let's uh, move on to closing thoughts. Let's start with positives. I'm going to say that uh, I think this movie looks decent. It's decently, you know, the production values are good. We forgot to mention the um, scene where Chris is in the classroom and she has her dream. It's mirroring a, a scene from uh, the original uh which is done more gritty and better, but you know, there's suddenly she's in this, you know, dilapidated post-apocalyptic classroom. And that's when we first get a good look at uh, Fred at the chalkboard. There are some moments of nice computer generated imagery that sort of hint at the potential of what a movie like this could be just in terms of, production design and, and production values, I think it's fine. Although I do agree that none of the dream sequences are as good as they could be. I think the actors overall were good. I think the film looks good. There's, you know, it doesn't look like it was, you know, poorly made. I don't mind the callbacks to the original. I mean, they're, they're, you know, beat for beat there at, at some spots, but you know, it's, it's fine. It's a remake. It's not, I'm not upset about it, but that's, that's just what they're doing. You know, that those are, the, those are the positives. There's the scenes that stood out um, like the pharmacy scene. I do like the scene that you just mentioned as well with um, when she's learning about Sparta and, and in the classroom and, and we get to see Fred for the first time and his fingers on the chalkboard and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go into what I didn't like, but there definitely are things that I like about it. You know, I think it's a case of liking by default, right? It There's nothing in this movie that I will like want to show to somebody and say, you've got to see this scene or this moment or this shot because there's nothing in the movie that rises to excellence. Right. However, there are there are things that are not bad or need to be shit upon. Like, it is shot very professionally. This is clearly a... They had a budget. They had a good DP. The director has a pretty good eye. I would say half of the movie, there's some good stylish shit. Like some of the boiler room sequences, the way the framing is, um, the framing is done. I, I thought the, the part where she's in the bloody body bag looked great. Uh, some of the kills, while too fast, are very gory and violent. And I applaud that because that's sort of the reason you come to these movies, right? And And again, there were a couple one-liners that I liked and and having Clancy Brown in your movie is a plus for me every time. I've He literally can't be in a bad... Well, he can be in a bad movie, but he's never bad. So I think on my second viewing this time, it was a lot less offensive than I remembered it being. I can, I can say that, you know? But again, I don't think there's anything about this movie except maybe the part where the dude cuts his throat at the beginning that I thought was truly badass. What do you think went wrong here creatively? I, I feel like I've sort of... My main gripes with it creatively are the, the decision to back out of the idea that Fred is after them out of revenge because they lied, and then to go full child molester. Like, you never go full child molester. I was thinking about it while I was watching the movie, and I kept thinking, I was trying to put my finger on, why is this movie bad? And part of it falls under the category of, like, just, it's so bland, it, it's forgettable, Right. But I, I, I now know what the problem is. And the problem is, in all the other Nightmare on Elm Street films, the dream sequences are these set pieces to themselves. They're like little short films, right? That you yeah. look forward to. Yeah. It's like, oh, you realize that person's dreaming. Some dread comes. Freddy gets him. 
turns into a fucking worm or he like turns into a TV set, you know, like he turns the one dude into a puppet with like, you know, the veins and shit. And, and that's why you come to the movie. But this version does away with that because of the micro naps. It says, we're not doing dream sequences. We're just here to have like a scary guy with knives jump out of shadows. And so you are actually undoing the very thing that everybody wants, right? Like, that's that's all you actually want out of a Freddy Krueger movie. I don't care about his backstory. I don't even care about him killing people with the glove. I'd rather he doesn't kill anyone with the glove. And in this movie, it's the only way he kills anyone. And I think that's the biggest sin the movie makes, is that it it takes the premise of a man who gets you in your dreams and basically just turns him into a dude who stabs you with his hand in his, in your dreams. Like that's lame guys. It's lame. And it is argue. I think inarguably the greatest horror movie killer premise of all time that a guy kills you in your dreams because you can't not sleep. So there, I mean there, I don't think there's ever been a better initial premise of a slasher movie. And I, and I agree. I will maybe back down from the defense of the micronaps just because you make a good point there. I think if they had done new dream sequences and done the micronaps, I think there could have been something at least to make this stand out and be a little more memorable. Yeah. And and again, I acknowledge I acknowledge what you're saying that they put the micronaps in to try to up the the ante and make it be like, oh, he can come anytime. I I get that. I just I just think they it's a missed opportunity, you know? Yeah. Like you're going to have a whole sequence in a swimming pool where the kid falls asleep. Let's make it a big sequence, you know, like, like right. a really bad. But instead it's over like that. All the dream sequences start and then the person wakes up or they get killed. I understand that you want to recreate the first movie, but like you're, I, you're totally right. There is no better idea for a slasher film. Like sooner or later, you're going to fall asleep and this guy is going to get you. And going all the way back to the beginning of this conversation, when I said that, all of the Freddy movies are like up and down and some of them are really bad and some are really good. They all have really great death sequences. That's the thing. Even the worst of the movies have these nightmare scenes that you're like, Oh, that's twisted, you know? Yeah. And, and this movie's just like, I don't care about that part. I care more about telling you the backstory of how maybe this guy was a pedophile, but wink, wink, he was so big shocker like like whether he's whether he was a pedophile or not he's still murdering people from the beginning of this movie so he's clearly the bad guy so why are we making a mystery movie out of it you know if they announce which i imagine one day they will um uh, that they are gonna try this again i'm sure it won't be with jackie earl haley or anything like that or platinum dunes if they even exist anymore would you be interested in seeing it jennifer Absolutely. You always, you know, gotta hope for the, expect the worst and hope for the best. That's, that's how I roll. So yeah, I, I would totally go see a reboot of this again in the theater. Absolutely. Give it a shot. Now, uh, just when they announced this movie, apparently he did um, screen tests with Kevin Bacon as Freddy Krueger before mm-hmm. Jackie Earl Haley which I actually think could work in a weird way. At least Kevin Bacon has the sort of build and, you know, he's lanky and and you could do cool stuff with his makeup and his face. Um, I also remember people bandying around the uh, name of uh, Ben Foster 
uh, from, mm -hmm. you know, six feet under mm -hmm. and he's actually in, yeah. in 30 days of night and stuff. I think he could have been, a, he could be a good, he's got a good creepy vibe. I think he could be a good Freddy Krueger. Um, Rodney, would you be up for another attempt at this or are you just going to dig in your heels and say, don't ever try to do this again? No, as a, like, look, I, like I'm a horror fan. I, I, I go see everything, right? Like, honestly, I have no idea why these large franchises don't just make, make a new one every year. Like if I ran the studio every fucking Halloween, maybe every 18 months, you would have a new Fri uh, nightmare on Elm street film and a new Friday the 13th. And like, like saw did it for like eight years in a row. Right. Yeah. And like, dude, it's not that hard. Like, I promise I'll come up. I'll come to your mediocre dream killer movie every fucking Halloween. Why does it take so long? Yeah. Um, I'd like it to be a little better, but yeah, I, I will go to the next 10 remakes of this film franchise. I was just going to say it is utterly baffling that they can't get these things. I mean, I think a lot in the case of the Friday, the 13th uh, series, it's because there's some sort of rights issues like uh, going on. That, that's fair. I mean, that one's a no brain. I put a guy in a hockey mask. I mean, what is Dude, the big deal? <laughs> if, know, the three, like, if the three of us, if the three of us were arguing over the money, I'd be like, look, guys, can we disagree every year that we argue we're not making any? So how about we just split it three ways? Right. We make we make one every year. Let's just churn them out. They act like everyone doesn't like Freddy Krueger because they had a bad critical response to this movie. Right. And it's like, no, we didn't like your movie. Try again. Do it again. Right. Yeah. yeah. You can start over. Be like Spider-Man. Just keep starting over until you get it right again. Right. <laughs> However, I disagree with I, I, I read some articles about Kevin Bacon being interested in the role. And I got to tell you, I think the misconception is that everyone thinks of Robert England as Freddy Krueger, but he became famous because of the role. Right. He wasn't a famous actor. And I think the minute you put a famous actor in the role of Freddy Krueger, the audience can't stop looking at him as the actor. I kept yeah. seeing Jackie Earl Haley. Just find me someone I don't know and make that the new Freddy Krueger and fill the rest of the cast with famous people. I think there's a sort of middle ground where you could get a character actor, somebody like Ben Foster, who most people don't really know who he is. I mean, Robert England was a character actor. He would been in other movies. It's not like he sure, was an sure. unknown He's in, uh, you know, a galaxy of terror and, and all sorts of stuff before he became Freddy Krueger. So, I mean, I think will anybody ever live up to Robert England? Probably not. That that's that's the problem. It's it. They're they're such big boots to fill, you know, yeah. um, and it's impossible to play that role without inviting everyone to compare you to Robert England. But but it, I mean, I think it with the right person, it it can be done where you can have, you know, both versions both actors you know living in, in a world where you you can just enjoy both of them like I, I feel that way about having bill skarsgård play pennywise you know it's like i, I first knew pennywise's tim curry through the miniseries and yeah. that's who just how i pictured him and then here comes bill skarsgård and i'm like i love him and i think he also you know at least at that time was probably uh, towing that line of not being, you know, super well known, but had done some notable things. And so he was able to slide into that and do his own take on it. And I, I'm now, you know, I like both versions. So I, I think it can be done. I think that that comparison is pretty good. But I also feel that 
you know, there was only one attempt at it before they made another one. So even though people were kind of hung up on Tim Curry's version, it wasn't like Nightmare on Elm Street where we got, you know, six or seven whatever movies uh, with one guy. I think it's, you know, the more more movies you make with one person, the harder it is for people to shake that. I think people of our generation will never get over Robert Englund. I don't think there will, there will ever be a version that will be able to compete with him. But I think it's such a strong idea that the temptation to not reintroduce this character to a new generation is, you know, it's way too, too much. You, you, you know, they're going to try it again. Because it's just such a good idea. And, you know, I know those movies still exist and, and young people can go and, and find them and watch them. But, like, come on. Let's let's be real. They don't want to do that. <laughs> so there's money to be made in them Freddy and that Freddy sweater. That's basically what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I, I'll back down on this. They, they easily could find a more well-known actor who still just does a different version. Yeah. I think you got to just get away from the Freddy Krueger I'm so used to. Like, I remember thinking Heath Ledger was the worst idea ever to play. The oh, Joker. I did, too. I was like, what? Really? Yep. And then we all saw the movie and we all went, I apologize. I'm, yeah. I'm really sorry. You, you're amazing. So I genuinely think someone out. Maybe it is Kevin Bacon. Bacon. Maybe it is Ben Foster. Uh, we'll, I guess we'll find out one day because they're going to make another one. There's no way they just leave this where they left it. Well, let's hope they do a better job. But anyway, thank you guys for uh, being on this episode. And uh, I want to wish you both the sweetest of dreams. (laughs) That about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard, check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for tentpole trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with tentpole trauma? Send an email to tentpoltrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon. <laughs>